We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm Josh Nelson, alongside the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis, as uh, we are recording this late Thursday night on December 15th, 2022. And we're doing this and the timing of these podcast episodes, especially with the holidays, please bear with us. They're not going to be on the, the regular schedule here because we're trying to time it in case if there's any big Chicago White Sox news, but we're fools for hoping that Jim, because that may never come. Uh, it feels like, <laughs> yeah. uh, but there's been a lot of moves made in Major League Baseball, and that's where we're going to be spending a lot of our time in this episode, just talking about what is going on in free agency. Some old friends have signed with new teams, and I think a good place to start is how we are doing in the free agent pick'em contest. So again, we recorded that episode on my birthday on November 16th. I picked out 10 players that would try to make our best guesses on where they're going to be signing. And uh, Jim's been crushing it. And take you to look at where we are now after some pretty significant free agent uh, signings. Uh, first of all, and we'll talk about this more in depth, old friend Carlos Rodon did not sign with the Baltimore Orioles, Jim. He ends up signing with the New York Yankees for a six-year $162 million contract. So both you and I had the Orioles. Our friend Beef Loaf had the Yankees. He's trying to catch me right now. And he's hoping that our last free agent that hasn't signed out of our pickup contest, Dansby Swanson, uh, you have the Minnesota Twins. I have the Chicago Cubs. And Beef Loaf has the Atlanta Braves. I don't think the Orioles are going to be part of it. So our friend Cherise is probably going to finish one for 10. But you have an additional X on your free agent pick'em. Adam Frazier ended up signing with the Baltimore Orioles. We'll talk more about that signing later in the show when we look at the second base situation for the Chicago White Sox. Uh, but I guess we could start with the Carlos Rodon signing. Just two years ago, nobody really wanted him, Jim, after he got non-tendered by the Chicago White Sox. 
And in the free agent pick, we thought a move to Baltimore could make sense. They need some elite starting pitching if they're going to be serious about contending in the American League East. Instead, he ends up signing with the New York Yankees for six years, $162 million. Are you surprised by the contract? Not really. I mean, not after what Jacob deGrom got. It's not after the AAV for uh, Justin Verlander. The money has been there. Rodon uh, had the qualifying offer attached to him, so that made it a little bit different and might have muted a bit. But, you know, a lot of teams should have wanted him. You know, a lot of teams have the money and can absorb the risk to, uh, you know, have to deal with, like, you know, a, a setback or, you know, kind of pitching injuries that pop up here and there. And the Yankees were probably as well equipped as anybody. I guess I'm a little surprised at the Yankees because they did sign Aaron judge as well. So it does seem like they're back to spending what they had before. Um, the Orioles seem like now it looks foolish to say the Orioles could have signed Rodon because it looks like they're not signing anybody. And I think if I were an Orioles fan, I'd be pretty miffed right now in terms of uh, what did we do all this intentionally awful losing for? I mean, the white Sox lost hard, the Orioles lost hardest. Like they, they really bottomed out. They have a great farm system. They have a lot of cheap players either in the lineup or on the way. They have a lot of outfielders to deal. Like they have a lot of flexibility of what they can do. And they've been completely absent from the top of the market when it seems like they can. So that's really rough. So, I mean, like, you know, when, uh, I think it was Treasy had uh, Dansby Swanson, right, to the Orioles. Yes. And, like, I thought, oh, that's kind of, you know, if if Rodon doesn't go there, like, that's a possibility because they have outfielders, but they're shoring up their infield and they could be players. But they've been completely absent from the conversation while the, you know, Blue Jays have loaded up and the Red Sox, well, I don't know what the Red Sox are doing, but uh, the, the Yankees are there. So it's just like the Rays are always tough. So this seemed like the, you know, with the Red Sox a little bit uneven and the Rays always – at risk of their stuff not working. You know, it seemed like this was the year to maybe make that push for Baltimore and just nothing, you know, silence. So I don't necessarily feel, you know, like bad for picking them. I feel bad for Orioles fans who probably should have felt, had some expectations that they would be in for one of these guys. Yeah, I mean, they're trying to build off an 83 and 79 win team, surprising most in Major League Baseball with how well they played and their payroll is so low and they have so much young talent. If they got themselves a, an ace like Carlos Rodon, maybe they could seriously challenge the Tampa Bay Rays and be part of the conversation of maybe being a fifth or sixth seed in the postseason this upcoming year. And again, we saw in the National League last year, the, the five and six seeds can go deep into the postseason with this particular format if you can get out of the wild card round and win that series on the road. So it is a bit disappointing for Baltimore, but for the New York Yankees now, Jim, I mean, gosh, Garrett Cole, Carlos Rodon. I like Nestor Cortez Jr. I think he is also a very good pitcher. They still have Luis Severino. If Severino could prove to stay healthy and they have Frankie Montas, then all of a sudden, like one through five, the New York Yankees are really strong. The Toronto Blue Jays also signed old friend Chris Bassett and the Blue Jays rotation one through five mm -hmm. is really strong. And with Rodon now pitching out of the Bronx, one, I'm wondering what kind of facial hair he's going to have with the New York Yankees, if he'll be clean shaven or try to have a mustache like Nestor Cortez Jr. But that type of arm at Yankee Stadium to really try and squash opposing left-handed hitters to try to take advantage of that short fence, 
This, I think, is an ideal pairing between Rodon and the Yankees, Jim. Pretty much. Like, not many uh, better places for a lefty to go unless, like, he gives up some fluke opposite field, uh, you know, right-handed shanks, which uh, supposedly they were getting more of because of the baseballs that were there. We'll see if the baseballs are taken out of circulation. The the the, the more lively ones are the Goldilocks balls that the, uh, you know, the story in Insider came out with uh, just the unevenness of the actual playing object and uh you know now now you can kind of look a little bit askance at Aaron Judge's uh season or at least the extent that he led the league you know no fault of Judge himself but uh you know assuming that comes down a little bit to normal and they're playing with a a an average baseball it would seem like yeah it's uh yeah unless the opposite field home run returns the way it had like pre-2022 there's really no no flaws to be found with that uh, with that uh, pitcher ballpark pairing. Like there aren't going to be many lefties going going after him, and uh, nor should there be, given the slider that he has. Now with Carlos Rodon going to the Yankees earlier this week, the big news, and this broke at like one in the morning Central Time. Carlos Correa signs with the San Francisco Giants for a thirteen-year, three hundred and fifty million dollar contract. And to me, Jim, at least with the years, it makes sense because if Trey Turner and Xander Bogarts, who are a year and a half, two years older than Carlos Correa, are getting 11 years, I would assume, at least from Correa's camp, who's represented by Scott Boris, that any team participating in these sweepstakes would have to offer an at least 11-year contract to be in the running and the San Francisco Giants decide to take it one step further and go 13 years and paying him $350 million guarantee to be their long-term shortstop in the Bay. What do you make of this signing uh, as the Giants obviously were going after Aaron judge, but this ends up being a pretty good backup plan going now and signing Correa. It seemed like the sensible thing to do just with the way their offense struggled to provide power. I think that's why judge made sense. And you know, when, we briefly thought that Arson Judge was going to the Giants, uh, and and I thought, <laughs> oh, there's my, uh, you know, there's you getting into the uh, free agent pick him, and like, you know, that probably flips the, uh, you know, it'd be a lot closer now if that uh, decision flipped. Uh, but you know, that made all the sense of the world, and then they 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 gear down to Correa, and Correa, given that he's younger, given that he's a normal sized human being as opposed to judge being six, seven and the, the, the studies of just how poorly tall players age, uh, it would seem like that's probably the, the better contract, or at least, you know, maybe it doesn't have the kind of short-term impact that judge has, uh, the, the ability to carry an offense the way he did for the Yankees, but Korea can, do the you know all around job just as well and probably after like year four i'm guessing that's when you'll see like the some separation between the two assuming like judge doesn't or korea doesn't have like the back issue that had you know kind of sidelined him like four years ago like it seems like he's gotten past it to the point where it's on active concern but it just takes something like that to really change the uh trajectory in a way that's uh yeah i guess concerning or at least you know be somewhere it's you consider it chronic again versus a one-off thing so i like it you know it, it's certainly a you know a contract length that people can uh you know smirk at and say like well you know it's gonna be interesting to see what it looks like in in age 38 but you know 
good teams or teams with ambition, teams with deep pockets, teams that feel like they can replace talent elsewhere in the di uh, on the diamond, really don't have to worry about that. Really don't have to worry about like the inefficient contract to a guy who's, uh, you know, gave them so much over the first five plus years of it. And with Correa going to San Francisco, I know a lot of people are going to mention that at that ballpark in San Francisco, it's a huge ballpark. It's not very hitter friendly. So let's see on the type of offensive numbers that Correa puts up with San Francisco. But he's never been one to be known, Jim, as a home run leader in either league. He'll get you 20, 25 home runs, but he's such a excellent all-around player. He's still very good offensively, but defensively you get a pretty big boost. And I'm wondering what position the Giants are going to have Brandon Crawford play uh, as he moves off a shortstop and he's getting into his mid-30s. And where if he's going to be the third baseman with Evan Lagoria now leaving San Francisco or he moves over to second base, that's going to be pretty interesting. But for those Giants teams that have been so successful in the past, they've been solid defensively. And what we saw in 2022, especially in that series in San Francisco where the White Sox swept the Giants, in that weekend before 4th of July, it was, oh my gosh, someone's worse on defense than the White Sox. Mm -hmm. The Giants were really bad on defense. Yeah. And now here they add Carlos Correa, and that is a huge shot in the arm, at least defensively, for the San Francisco Giants. And they made some interesting moves in the starting pitching front. They signed Sean Manaya and Ross Stripling to help bolster the rotation and back up Logan Webb. But if they could really shore up that defense and if they could help with the development or at least bounce back on the pitching side, especially the starting pitching side, I can see the path of the Giants going back to the model that worked for them, that won three World Series in the past in the sense of just being incredibly strong defensively, really tough to score runs on and very timely hitting. And Carlos Correa kind of fits that mold. Yeah, it, it was funny when I was going through the Bill James handbook, uh, this year's edition for a post I wrote on Thursday morning, uh, going through the defensive numbers, the White Sox were the only team that did not have an, uh, a position that was positive and defensive run saved. They had zero at third base, but they were in the red everywhere else. But down there uh, on the list, uh, the Giants were a company and and yeah, it was over the course of the year, like I just assumed the Giants were okay at defense because they've always been good at being, uh, or they've always been good in the margins. Like the, the, you know, the, the offensive numbers are never staggering. Sometimes you get some great pitching performance like Tim Lincecum when, you know, they were winning World Series and, and uh, you know, they got Carlos Rodon last year. But otherwise, it just seems like, you know, they, they get some surprising pitching performances because the defense is so good and the ballpark is also friendly that that boosts some numbers a bit. And uh, when it comes to like just uh, the, the, the biggest shortcomings last year, the offense was down with the defense. Yes, was ugly <laughs> and, and probably White Sox grade bad uh, in, in terms of just how it affected games, how it how it swung uh, games that they should have been able to win or should have uh, high leverage situations, high leverage mistakes. So, yeah, you would expect Korea to to help. Uh, massively in that regard. And if, if Crawford gets shifted out else somewhere around the diamond and, and gets in position where like, okay, he doesn't have to be the sensational defender that he was like gold glove caliber shortstop, but maybe he can, you know, some of those skills transfer over to be a gold glove caliber second baseman, especially if it's a case where with uh, 
uh, shifts being eliminated that all of a sudden range is now at a premium uh, for uh, the infield positions that maybe could have been masked as positioning uh, got more advanced and defense, just the thought behind it became more sophisticated. So yeah, there, there should be a kind of a, a trickle down effect to watch. Yeah, there may not be a trickle down effect, but just it, it's one of those cases where as we learn what the absence of shifting creates, I, I, I want to see what happens here with just how uh, a previously great shortstop like Crawford you know, might have a second life at second base at slightly down defensive spectrum, but be in a position to, you know, add, you know, run saved in this new environment. So for those that are watching on YouTube, which for this particular podcast, we've uploaded this episode to our YouTube channel. I'm bringing up a graphic on the free agent signings of five plus years. And you can add Carlos Rodon now to this graphic with him signing a six year contract. So the premium shortstops, there were four entering this free agency class. Correa, 13 years. Trey Turner, 11 years. Bogart's 11 years. Aaron Judge got nine years. These guys are signed until their age 40 or beyond season. Brandon Nimmo, going back to the Mets, we thought that would be a good fit for the White Sox. The Mets went eight years, eight years on Brandon Nimmo. So there was no chance the White Sox are going to be involved. And then you even have some interesting five-year contracts. At the very beginning, before free agency started, the Mets re-signed their closer, Edwin Diaz, to a five-year contract. Jacob DeGrom got five years from the Texas Rangers. And Wilson Contreras is switching uniforms from the Chicago Cubs to the St. Louis Cardinals. And he got five years. And what's interesting, as far as this point, and this was a column from Ken Rosenthal in The Athletic, and what Ken Rosenthal was alluding to is that these teams with these particular contracts, these monster contracts, they have they might have found a luxury tax loophole, Jim. With the amount of money divided over the amount of years, that's what is actually counted against your luxury tax. And you can be you can play with it if you want to front load it, if you want to load it up in the middle. Uh, and then have it tail off later in the contract, you can do that. But what accounts against the luxury tax is the total amount of salary divided by the amount of years. So when you look at Carlos Correa's contract of $350 million over 13 years, that's still shy of $30 million a season. And Carlos Rodon, who, if he signed like a three or four year contract, I think would have signed for more than $30 million a season. Instead, his luxury tax salary for the Yankees for the next six seasons is just $27 million. What do you think about this particular strategy by the big spenders, Jim? Because I think Kent Rosenthal makes a good point. And this is where in our previous conversation about the dying middle class of major league baseball, and you alluded to the fact that major league baseball may revert back to the 1990s, Jim, in which the small market owners band together. And now you have this rift between the small market and the major market teams in major league baseball, or the ones that spend very little and the big spenders because San Diego is a smaller market, but they are big spending that these big spenders committing this amount of years and willing to do it to help them later on have these high quality players on their roster, but it alleviates the luxury tax in the future. and makes them even more affordable. I think this is a pretty smart strategy and one that Jerry Reinsdorf will never take advantage of Jim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a case where, um, 
both sides seem to get what they want. You know, maybe Korea doesn't make the $30 million a year salary, which is a nice round number. Same thing with like Rodan that he might've made on a shorter deal. And like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking like the Trevor Bauer uh, betting on himself type situation um, before he became kind of persona non grata. But, uh, you know, I, I think maybe the, the players lose a little bit in terms of AAV and, and just maybe if they're looking at that, but when you look at the top players getting like, you know, Korea getting $350 million, you know, being the last contract he ever signs, uh, probably being a case where he already bet on himself once and, and, you know, doesn't want to have to do it again anytime in the near future. Now he doesn't have to do it again any point in his career. Like, seems like it's pretty fair for both, uh, for both sides. And, you know, it's hard to complain. I think if you were looking at it as a pro union side and say like, yeah, it's, it's a mild trade-off, but uh, everybody's happy with the contracts. I think they have to be. And, and like I said, like if anybody's, uh, you know, bemoaning the development, it's probably those, uh, you know, dozen so teams that just have no interest in spending and are really uh, just taking the luxury tax. Maybe there's a case where it's just there's a, a little bit more money they're getting because the luxury tax overages, but we haven't seen that money being reinvested. They're not going to be competitive on these kind of contracts, but it does remind me a little bit, you know, maybe they're taking a note from the NHL, like last decade when, you know, Marian Hosa got the, uh, 12-year deal and Ilya Kovalchuk got a 17-year deal that was nixed because at the end of it, he was making like 500000 in the last couple of years of it. And it was clearly an attempt to game the luxury tax and, 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 and you know, skirt the salary cap. So it was a case where like, you know, that was ultimately slashed down to 15 years. But even then, that was a huge um, and lengthy uh, and and very much a intended to game the system. And it makes sense. Like in, in this case, like, you know, Korea, they're, they're, it's a little bit, you know, front loaded or middle loaded. And at the end, it tails off a little bit for some of these deals, but the money's still there. Like it's it, they're big money teams, uh, you know, with deep pockets using all of those pockets <laughs> to get uh, deals done. And, uh, you know, most teams can do something like this, especially like, as we talked about, like the other you know, White Sox in previous years should have like nine years for and $222 million for Bryce Harper suddenly looks enviable in, in this scenario. Uh, and then that's what the Phillies owe him from here on out. Uh, George Springer would be 490 and like, that's fine for him. So uh, the White Sox missed their opportunity to spend, uh, spend big because now we're seeing uh, what it looks like when there's actual uh, big money, old money, in some case, like nouveau riche teams like the Mets, uh, all of a sudden paying up for guys and using the money they could have spent all along. The White Sox had a window. They didn't take advantage of it. And uh, yeah, now they have to figure out uh, their next idea after these contract extensions lapse for Moncada and Anderson and uh, you know Jimenez and Robert and so forth. Do you think it will ever get to the point for the smaller market teams or the smaller spenders that they demand in the next CBA there is a cap in contract length, that they do not allow 11 or 13-year contracts at the max amount of years a player can sign let's say hypothetically would be like 10 years. Do you think you'd ever get to that with major league baseball? It could. I mean, that could be one of the wedge issues that the CBA creates and the union can press the owners on to get something else. That's yeah. That's a really touchy issue. I think it's going to be. Uh, and, and that's why I wondered, you know, in this year where there's labor peace for the next four seasons 
and there's this uh, TV money coming in and there's streaming money coming in. If I, you know, maybe this is just like a one weird year before like the owners ratchet it down again and say like, okay, let's, you know, we had our fun. Uh, now we have to cooperate a little bit more in order to not have this kind of simmering issue explode on them uh, because it is something that the players can really press. Like if it's 10 teams at the top and 12 teams at the bottom and, you know, then you have the middle class that we talked about that's kind of dying a little bit, but could get their acts together. Like you know, there, there are some teams that could spend and, and might, you know, especially after this wave of uh, huge spending, uh, you know, record-breaking spending uh, recedes a little bit that these other teams could get involved. Uh, that's, I think, where we might see a little bit of this tension ease, but if it doesn't, if this is like the way the game is played, then yeah, it's a, a, a potentially dangerous issue among the ownership because it is something that like if teams don't care what players are getting paid in age 39 seasons because they can deal with uncomfortable situations for three years, I don't see any reason why they'd go back in a free agent class like this. Well, there's more to discuss in this episode of the Sox Machine podcast as we're going to be talking about Adam Frazier signing with the Baltimore Orioles. Not a big blockbuster signing, but it does raise the question as another second baseman comes off the board. What are the Chicago White Sox planning to do at second base? We'll talk about that and also take a look at the best remaining free agents, at least on the position player side, next on the Sox Machine podcast after a quick word from our sponsors. The holidays are quickly approaching, so it's time to start thinking about what you are going to gift your loved ones. And if you're looking for something to get even the hardest to shop for, look no further than a personalized coffee subscription from Trade Coffee. And Trade Coffee, if you don't know by now what Trade Coffee is, it is a coffee subscription service and it makes it so simple to discover new coffees and make your best cup of coffee at home every day. Trade partners with the nation's top-rated independent roasters to send you coffee they know you'll love and fresh to your home and on your preferred schedule. Whether you already know what you like or new to specialty coffees, like me, and need some help, Trade makes it easy and convenient to discover new coffees. And I really enjoy our coffee subscription and getting the little red bag from Trade and wondering what's inside. Which roaster sent me coffee this time and recently i just got one from a roaster in nashville that's right by jim's house and jim's like the coffee is not only great and it is great coffee but you should get the biscuits sometime when i'm in nashville and now it's got me going to the google Maps, saving their locations so the next time i'm in nashville tennessee i can get a cup of coffee from that roaster and enjoy one of the breakfast biscuits that jim makes me insanely jealous of uh, on social media what's great about trade getting all of these different types of blends of coffee from roasters across the country is what makes it a perfect gift for loved ones. They make it easy with their digital gifting options for last minute shoppers like myself. And they also have coffee and equipment bundles for something under the tree. So for the coffee lover in your life or treat yourself with trade coffee, Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off a subscription and access to a limited time holiday specials at drinktrade.com slash machine. That's drinktrade.com slash machine for $30 off. Again, that's drinktrade.com slash machine. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We'll go back to the Sox Machine podcast as now we shift gears for the Chicago White Sox, taking a look at the second base. So at the beginning part of this podcast, we're talking about other things that are happening in Major League Baseball. Old friend Carlos Rodon signs with the Yankees. Carlos Correa signs with the San Francisco Giants. And Jim, when we did our free agent pick as a reminder, your big free agent signing for the White Sox, you had Adam Frazier signing with the Chicago White Sox. That ends up not being the case as Frazier signed a one-year contract for $8 million to the Baltimore Orioles. So, unfortunately, that doesn't come to fruition. It's not a big signing, Jim, but it does raise the question now for the Chicago White Sox about second base. Colton Wan was an idea that I had. He got traded to Seattle. Adam Frazier was an idea that you had for second base. He signs with Baltimore. And the options are starting to dwindle here for the White Sox, at least the free agent market. And honestly, logical trade targets for the second base position. Here we are on December 15th recording this episode and spring training is going to start in a couple of months. What do you think the plan is at second base for the White Sox right now? Seems like uh, right now, if I had to bet, it would be on on internal options like i don't know if there's one favorite among them you know for the record i was not like thrilled about adam <laughs> frazier i you know I, I made that pick a little bit tongue-in-cheek but also that like talked myself into it after uh, originally you know mocking it but no like frazier i i didn't really want just because it's the same thing as long as larry garcia is on the books making what he makes for as long as he makes it every other utility player they sign for a significant amount of money just compounds that mistake. Like we saw Josh Harrison, like all of a sudden you have like $11 million for utility guys. Uh, you know, it's, it's a multiplier uh, for a um, position that really isn't that important. So now you'd have like 13 million if you had Frazier and Garcia on the roster at the same time. And based on the way that uh, Frazier played for Seattle, like barely a one win player and uh, you know, not really going to provide much in the way of power. And, and so he's, you know, like Josh Harrison susceptible to, you know, real uh, slumps with medium contact that just, you know, it, it, it didn't strike me as a great fit uh, in theory, but it struck me as like the kind of fit the White Sox seem to like wider than deep when it comes to production. Second base, I think right now um, I'm surprised when, you know, looking at the top 10 prospect lists that are coming out, that Lenin Sosa ranks so low, like he's 10th on Baseball America, he's 11th on Baseball Prospectus, which is funny because I think two years ago uh, or three years ago, I want to say he was 10th on Baseball Prospectus, like he had ranked higher despite accomplishing far less. Yeah, and, and there are different guys, uh, you know, evaluating prospect lists for Baseball Prospectus. So, you know, Ben Spanier, who did this year, 
you know, this year's list, he shouldn't be like, you know, held responsible for what you know, somebody else thought years earlier. But, you know, I, I think I'm more bullish on him than, you know, maybe prospect rankers just because like he can play second base. He has the ability to adjust after a really rough initial period at a level like he did it at, you know, low A, high A, double A, like this has been a trend where he needs one month of struggles and eventually figures it out. So I think at uh, the major league level, he might not accomplish the heights that he did at double A, but I think he could be adequate. Uh, so like, I'm not as opposed to the idea of running with him if they make a more ambitious play to solve a corner. Uh, if you have Aloy Jimenez being, you know, most time DH, and you have Oscar Colas being like a solution to right field. Okay, that's fine. But they still need left field. Like, I'm not comfortable with, um, you know, Gavin Sheets being like a primary corner outfield. I'm not comfortable with like Oscar Colas being there and like nobody behind him for help. So it would seem like if they put their resources for a corner spot, fine. Uh, that's okay. Then then I can roll with, uh, you know, having, uh, you know, Sosa there, Romy Gonzalez, Garcia, like just – Cycling, cycling through enough internal options to see what sticks. Jose Rodriguez might be an option. Like, give him a couple months in the minors to get over the the Hammond injury to see where he is. You know, don't make him. I would make him like Plan H when it comes to opening day. But he could be there eventually. Like, I could see a case where you just kind of roll with options. You know, just uh, keep going with it uh, and and hope that one of these guys sticks to be like the kind of average player, even slightly below average player, can play the defense uh, that that you need for the position. But yeah, it's uh, not inspiring at that position itself. And again, Rickon did say that the trade market will be more fruitful than free agency for the White Sox, and we're still waiting. The Milwaukee Brewers have made four trades during this offseason, and the White Sox have yet to make a trade. Everything has been through free agency for the White Sox or the Rule 5 draft. That's how they have added so far to the roster. So we're still waiting in... The White Sox front office and some beat reporters have been writing, stressing patience from everyone involved for the Chicago White Sox and making a trade. But you know, when you do look at what they have available to trade or what they're willing to part in a trade, I just don't know on how they address the second second base position via trade anymore, Jim, unless they do move like we've talked about in the past. Like if they could strike a deal to Los Angeles Dodgers to send Liam Hendricks to LA and maybe get somebody like Michael Bush, who is a highly touted top 100 prospect that is ready to contribute in the major leagues, bats left-handed, plays second base, maybe not a great defender, but he is more known for the bat. And we know the White Sox need more offense, but with the Dodgers here, Going And this is a nice segue to our next talking point here and where we're going to end the show is where we are right now in the position player front for free agency. So after Carlos Correa signs, there's one more premium shortstop, and that's Dansby Swanson. And when you look at the best remaining position player free agents and using the steamer projections from Fangraphs.com, Dansby Swanson is number one as the best player available with the projected war of 3.2 for the 2023 season. Now, for those that are watching on YouTube, you'll see that Omar Navas is number four on this list. He just signed with the New York Mets uh, right before we started recording this podcast. Uh, so he's no longer at number four. 
And you mentioned the White Sox invested more resources at addressing the outfield. The third best player remaining free agent, according to steamers, Andrew Benatendi. But there's word that the Yankees and Astros are both interested in Benatendi. So that could really escalate or inflate, I should say, the type of contract that Andrew Benatendi ends up signing. And he may be too expensive for the White Sox. But there are two players that I see on this list that are in the top five best remaining position player free agents that intrigue me. One is Elvis Andrews, and we know he played really well for the White Sox late. And his steamer projected wars 1.9, and we can put into reality the hypothetical we talked about at the end of the season, Jim, of what if Andrews moves over to second base and Tim Anderson stays at shortstop and that's your middle infield. But number two on this list is former Philadelphia Philly second baseman Gene Segura. And Steamer has a projected war value of 2.6 for Gene Segura for the 2023 season. What do you think about that possibility, Jim, of the White Sox investing a little more than maybe $10 million for a season to bring Gene Segura to the south side to help solidify the second base position? I would be okay with it. Like it wouldn't thrill me just because like he's one of those players like who kind of similar to he's like Adam Frazier plus or something like that, where like doesn't strike out much, doesn't walk much, runs a little bit, hits for a little power, you know, hits uh, for a decent average, but although that's, that's, you know, falling a little bit, but uh, plays, you know, an erratic style of play, which I think is <laughs> like, uh, yeah, a little bit out of control as we saw in the postseason, for better or for worse, like makes things happen, but also, uh, I guess, makes some things happen that you don't want to see. I kind of see like uh, Elvis Andrews on the other end of being like the the more uh, buttoned down version of that player. Like he's somebody whose bat can disappear, but he'll play steady defense and pretty smart base runner and generally does all the little things well. It's just more of a matter of the bigger things, like the bigger production, like Segura, you know, offers a little bit more in terms of offensive upside, at least historically what Andrews did last year for the White Sox was amazing. And it seemed like almost designed to show like, Oh, imagine if the White Sox were actually competent in other regards, uh, you know, what kind of difference Andrews could have made. Uh, but unfortunately like the, the flaws were too strong. Uh, but that's kind of how I look at these two players. The problem I think is when the White Sox signs somebody like Segura or they sign someone like Andrews, you know, with hopes of solving a position with adequacy or adequacy, like just, you know, hoping for like, it's two wins. We don't need much from this guy, like a, a two win player, like somebody will hit 270 and have an OBP of 310 and you'll hit double digit homers. Uh, that's when uh, they get the performance that kind of craters on them. Like they, they hope for two wins and they get like 0.3 or negative 0.2. And then he's, you know, DFA'd in July, like thinking like Adam Eaton and Jeff Kepinger and, and all these, uh, uh, you know, just the, these terrible one-year deals that have amounted to nothing. Nomar Mazzara was another one. Everybody they've put in the right field, John Jay. Todd Frazier is like the counterpoint to where like, he was like a four to five win player. He ended up being like a two to three, you know, kind of a three plus win guy with the White Sox, like one of the more unsatisfying 40 homer seasons you'll have. But because he had that upside, uh, even a disappointing season was okay uh, for them. Like that's kind of how I feel like the White Sox have to think about position players uh, because when they try to get that okay guy, Cesar Hernandez, another one, uh, for whatever reason, 
the production just tends to disappear. So that's why I wouldn't be excited. Not necessarily anything Segura does or Andrews does, but just because of historically the way the White Sox have identified talent. Like that talent seems to evaporate. And even when they move on to other teams, it's just gone. Yeah. And so if you are not crazy about Segura and you're not crazy about Andrews, those are the best remaining middle infielders in free agency for everyone, including for White Sox targets. When you look at the outfield, I've mentioned Ben Attendee. The next best available is Michael Conforto. Steamer thinks that Conforto is a 1.6 war season. It's really hard to project what Conforto is going to do in 2023 because he missed all of 2022 due to a shoulder injury. And then you got Michael Brantley speaking of shoulder problems. Uh, he's next in the list when it comes to outfielders at 1.4, according to the Steamer projection. Steamer likes him as a bat. A projected OPS of 761, and the White Sox could use more left-handed bats, but if they go back to that well that I advocated for three years ago, Jim, uh, that moves Aloy Jimenez from the DH spot to the outfield, and that creates problems. Two names that have been pitched to us from our Veterans Committee, so our VIPs on Patreon, they get an opportunity, by the way, to be in a chat group with Jim and I, and we text all the time. So you got Pete Hand, and Pete threw out the name Jackie Bradley Jr. as like, not a great fit, but a very White Sox way of addressing the outfield is citing someone like Jackie Bradley Jr. Great on defense, can't hit anymore, but he can at least help defensively. And then we also got the other uh, suggestion as well for Jerks and Profar. What do you make of Profar as a possibility for the White Sox? You know, it kind of falls in the same uh, boat in terms of just like it's it's a profile that just doesn't have any real strength. Like the walks shot up last year. Uh, he drew 73 of them. Like he's always had a decent eye. So I guess that would be his most reliable strength. But the batting average fluctuates on him. Doesn't have a ton of power. Like he peaked just like everybody else, the 20 homers in 2019. And uh, the power has been less impressive since. Uh, but he's all right, especially if you consider him not much of an infielder anymore and just think of him mainly as an outfielder. Uh, he can solve a position. I, I think the one thing I uh, I look at his track record and you look at his uh, his wins total or his, like, his war total, uh, he seems to have really... Uh, a Reggie Sanders type thing, a Brett Saberhagen type thing, yeah, who predated Sanders in terms of every other year he's good. And the other year is terrible. Like I'm looking at his wins hole, like 2017, uh, replacement level, 0.0. 0. 2018, 1.7. Uh, 2019, negative 0. 0.1. 2020 in 56 games, 1.3. Really good season. 2021, 0. 0.0. 2022, 3.1. So finally, like the kind of year that, uh, everybody thought he might have when he was a top prospect. But if that trend holds, then 2023 is going to be another just uh, hot potato, uh, <laughs> just, uh, you know, uh, holding the bag for a guy who just, uh, you know, oscillates between uh, uh, great aromas and terrible ones, if, if you're thinking about the fan, just you know, <laughs> what that's providing. So, yeah, again, a little bit, you know, I guess not based entirely on numbers, just more of a feel for how the White Sox do things and just the kind of signing. But I would want to think a little more upside, but better than the, what the White Sox have addresses a weakness that the White Sox persistently deal with in terms of just uh, struggling to draw walks. And I would be more open to it than I think like, you know, 
it would excite me a little bit more than Segura or uh, Andrews just because like of that one strength he does provide. I know we're grasping at straws here, listeners and watchers Mm -hmm. for the White Sox, but this is just the reality of the market. Usually you still have some premium free agents available when you get into January or maybe even February, like Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. They didn't sign until late January, early February. I think Bryce Harper may have signed when spring training had already started. Uh, That's when he finally signed with the Philadelphia Phillies. That's not the case this year. The market has been moving very quickly. You're down to, when you look at the position player front, you're down to Dansby Swanson. And then after Swanson, the best available position player free agents are going to be Gene Segura, Andrew Benatendi. Omar Navez just signed with the Mets. So the next on the list is like Elvis Andrews, Justin Turner, question marks like Michael Conforto and Joey Gallo and Michael Brantley. Like the well is starting to dry up. And if the White Sox are going to make a move, they're going to have to make a move pretty soon to address the outfield. Or if they're going to make a trade, good luck. Because uh, I think the teams right now, especially the other contenders, they're starting to see the well dry up and they may be pivoting. Some teams have already pivoted to the trade market, like the Atlanta Braves getting Sean Murphy. We didn't even talk about that. Uh, the Braves making a, a big trade there, a three-team trade along with Milwaukee and Oakland, there's that Milwaukee team again, continuing to make trades and making trades happen, not waiting out the market uh, as they continue to throw shade at Rick Hahn and his offseason strategy. They're not going to be able to wait another month. The White Sox are going to have to do something, I assume, before Christmas, which is just 10 days away, and no later than January 1st to address the outfield. Or they're just going to... Again, the well could dry up on the White Sox here pretty quickly. And then we're having real conversations of Aloy Jimenez or Gavin Sheets is going to have to be the opening day left fielder. And Lenin Sosa is probably, probably your opening day second baseman, along with another rookie, Oscar Colas, being your opening day right fielder. And that is a pretty big risk the White Sox are taking going to 2023, Jim. Yeah. Is there anything more? <laughs> <laughs> no. That's well stated. <laughs> yeah. The reality in the White Sox, you know, it's funny. I went to the uh, whitesox.com and the uh, headline on not the Scott Merkin story, because it's a different headline, but the headline showing on the homepage is White Sox, quote unquote, uh, patient and quote unquote, diligent this offseason. And like, yeah. And patience, you know, it, it, that's, it feels like a euphemistic way to, uh, you know, uh, present inaction. And, you know, in, in the group chat, we're talking and just like, it seemed like all these moves being made and it seems like Rick Hahn is just, you know, as, as we've talked about, as I've written about such a high leverage off season. Now, now it appears pretty precious few resources. Uh, so they kind of have to be used right. And my, I think Mike Clevenger has shown to be like an okay move based on the way the pitching market is really uh, inflated in price. Like I feel okay with that one, but it seems like the next move, whether it's, you know, using the money they have left or trading Liam Hendricks, they have to like make sure these moves are right. So just, I can picture him like trying to jump on the carousel. That's like moving faster than he wants. And just like every time the spot comes around, he like lunges for a little bit, but then pulls himself back. Like he'll wait for the next turn. And just eventually, you know, the, uh, the ride's going to be over. Uh, and he'll have not have enjoyed it, which I guess makes him like everybody else uh, when it comes to uh, enjoying the ride. But yeah, that's kind of how uh, I'm looking at it is just uh, eventually either he's got to make a move or 
uh, the White Sox are going to go back to spinning how, uh, you know, once these guys come back from injury, it's like we made additions and the trade deadline is, uh, you know, we're going to be next looking to add, which you said before. Yes. Yeah. The carousel metaphor really works, Jim, because he's already been caught missing the ride this past trade deadline. And all he got in return was Jake Diekman. And yeah, Jake Diekman's <laughs> still on the roster. <sighs> Disappointing. But there's been a lot of activity so far this Major League Baseball offseason. It's been very entertaining to see how the other teams are adding. And uh, we'll see what the White Sox do. But at least... There are teams making moves. It has not been a very boring offseason. The action and the news trickling in has been consistent. That might mean a quieter January than recent years in the offseason. But hopefully the White Sox finally enter the fray because, again, the well starting to dry up at free agency. And we'll see on just how tempted the Pittsburgh Pirates will be in trying to move Brian Reynolds and maybe just how tempted Rick Hahn will be if he continues to get phone calls about Liam Hendricks. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening and watching as well on our YouTube page, which, by the way, if you do watch videos on YouTube, we're really inching closer to a 1,000 subscribers. So thanks to everyone that subscribed to the past week as I, I saw our count is now in the uh, low 800s, uh, which is fantastic. Thank you for doing that. If you do watch videos on YouTube, please subscribe to our channel at youtube.com slash Machine. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, as long as that lasts, at Machine, And you can follow me on Twitter at Machine underscore Josh. If you don't get a chance to watch the videos on YouTube or you prefer to listen to the podcast version of the shows, you can still listen and subscribe to the Socks Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts such as Spotify and Apple Music. If you enjoy our work and you want more, you can help support us at patreon.com slash Machine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website. And thanks to our new Socks Machine store, they are the first ones to receive the new swag. So we have monthly plans starting at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Machine. The Socks Machine podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com. You're home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com